Recording in progress. Uh, good evening. I'd like to call to order the May 18, 2023 Planning Commission regular meeting. First item is roll call, Ms. Hoaxma. Commissioner Callahan. Here. Commissioner Mosier. Here. Vice Chair Wamishonje. Present. Chair Sager. Here. And Commissioner Brinson is absent with notice, and Commissioner Gluska is also absent with notice, and I have not heard from Maysho at this point. Commissioner Lynn, I mean. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, next item is approval of the agenda. Is there any changes to the agenda? And the minutes from April 20th, 2023. Anybody have any comments or changes? Great, thank you. That brings us to general public comment. Ms. Hoxma, do we have anybody signed up for general public comment tonight? I do not, or we do not. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that brings us to our study item, which is the 2024 Comprehensive Plan Discussion of Middle Housing. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, our topic tonight is middle housing. Uh, my name is Elise Keim, senior planner with Shoreline. And a lot has been happening with middle housing, uh, both at the state level and right here in Shoreline. So let's get into it. Uh, we are covering a number of topics tonight, and this presentation is a bit lengthy. Um, but just to let you know what you're in for, we're going to start with a, uh, an update on the grant, an overview of some recent changes to housing policy at the state level, and what that could mean for the future of residential zoning in Shoreline, and then uh, get into some discussion questions. And of course, if you have any questions for me along the way, feel free. Uh, first, a brief recap of what middle housing is. Very simply put, middle housing is a range of house-scale buildings with multiple units. And that's it. <laughs> uh, middle housing can help establish walkable neighborhoods, as these homes are built at sufficient densities to support neighborhood businesses, like coffee shops and salons and corner stores that people can walk to. The city has been doing some work related to middle housing that is grant funded. And in light of recent changes in state regulations, this grant is really giving Shoreline a head start on the topic of middle housing. Uh, that it's gonna be a part of comprehensive plans really throughout the state. So we are getting that head start. Uh, the work on middle housing, it does not end in June when the grant ends. Uh, we will continue to work uh, preparing comprehensive plan goals and policies and updating the development code to comply with state requirements. But this grant does have some specific deliverables, including an existing conditions report, public outreach and summary, a racial equity analysis, and draft policies and implementation concepts. And all of these materials are still in draft form, so tonight I'm just providing you an update on what has been done so far. The existing conditions report being prepared, it's pretty similar to the cottage housing existing conditions report uh, with some updated data points and obviously a broader focus on middle housing. The report looks at drivers of housing choices and the adage that we hear in real estate is that it is all about location. Uh, but there are in fact some other factors <laughs> that go into a household's uh, choices about housing. 
Uh, these include location certainly, but also a household's budget, the life stages and associated needs of the household residents, and the kind of housing that's available in a given housing market. So let's take a look at available housing choices in Shoreline. The option for housing currently fall into three broad categories. These are single family detached, single family attached, meaning townhomes, and multifamily. The majority of housing types in the city are single family detached. And from 2022, the median sale price of a single family home came in at just under $823,000, while monthly rent was $1,635. As the report is finalized, we will see if there are any updated median prices uh, and incomes that are available. But the bottom line that we're seeing here is that choices of different forms of housing in Shoreline are pretty constrained and also pretty expensive. A racial equity analysis of Shoreline's housing policies is being prepared to evaluate these policies for racially disparate impacts, displacement, and exclusion in housing. And I want to specifically call out displacement. That is when a household is forced to move because of conditions beyond their control. These could be economic factors, uh, life changes or family changes, and redevelopment, just to name a few. Recent changes in the Growth Management Act require cities to prepare anti-displacement policies in their comprehensive plans. So we are studying the factors that result in displacement specific to Shoreline to help prepare those policies to address that. Public participation for middle housing has included work with specific community-based organizations who represent different vulnerable populations in Shoreline, We've convened focus groups of people who may be interested in middle housing, including developers and people who may be interested in middle housing as an attractive housing choice for themselves. Uh, so far, what we've heard is that people are really feeling the pain of lack of affordable housing. And this doesn't just mean monthly rent or mortgage payments. This can also mean costs like move-in costs and application fees and property taxes. People are really feeling that squeeze. We have also heard that the current suite of housing policies aren't really addressing people's housing issues. And for middle housing specifically, we've heard general support for middle housing, but also skepticism that middle housing is really going to address the people's housing needs. And it is important to acknowledge that this housing crisis has been building for a while, and it's not gonna be solved by one approach alone. It will need to be tackled on several fronts. The city recently had an online survey for the comprehensive plan, and it included some questions on housing. Uh, this survey wasn't specifically about middle housing, but it did have some interesting preliminary results that I wanted to share. Uh, what we heard is that uh, people are saying they would really like housing that is closer to, uh, to useful amenities, things like grocery stores and cafes and parks and transit. And interestingly, middle housing can help support the establishment of these amenities by providing housing that is at sufficient density for neighbors to support neighborhood businesses. We are holding a virtual public meeting on middle housing next Wednesday. The purpose of this meeting will be 
uh, to bring the t uh, awareness to the public about what middle housing is and uh, how Shoreline may use it to meet the needs of its residents. Uh, the meeting is going to be held virtually over Zoom and people are encouraged to RSVP. You can find a link at shorelinewa.gov slash middlehousing. This is open to everyone. We're encouraging everyone to attend, so please spread the word. So now we're going to get into uh, some changes at the state level. You might have heard about some recent changes to state regulations regarding middle housing. And I just want to caveat, while everything is still very new, staff is still awaiting some guidance from Commerce to understand what this means, but tonight I've got some highlights for you. Uh, the first up is that middle housing is going to be coming to Shoreline. Uh, what that's going to look like, uh, per the House bill, the city will allow at least two units per residential lot. The city will also allow at least four units per residential lot if that lot is within a quarter mile of a major transit stop or if at least one unit in the development is affordable. There are a lot of changes uh, required by this bill and um, the state, it does seem to recognize that, that it doesn't just happen overnight. So uh, compliance with this bill is required uh, six months after the city's next comprehensive plan update. Our comprehensive plan update is scheduled uh, for the end of 2024. So compliance with this house bill would be due at the latest mid 2025. I uh, just wanted to provide a uh, visual aid for what uh, what this uh, bill is uh, talking about. We've got a zoning map here with buffers placed around major transit stops in Shoreline that looks like bus rapid transit and light rail. Residential zones you see are in pale yellow. Uh, the inner buffer that we're seeing around the transit stops, that's that quarter mile from major transit stops and in these areas at least four dwelling units will be permitted on a residential lot. That outer buffer is a half mile from major transit stops and importantly parking for middle housing is not going to be required within this half mile buffer. And of course you'll note, oh yes. Uh, quick question, uh, isn't there also, uh, maybe it's not now, but there's going to be um, bus rapid transit on Northeast 145th Street? There will be, yes, um, and we just don't have those specific points right now. Uh, as you can see with the buffers along the southern uh, border in Shoreline that a lot of them are, they're already going to be covered, but a little right. bit in the, in the southeast corner as well is going to get captured. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, so the zones that aren't in pale yellow, those are things like commercial and multifamily or station area zones. And um, again, everything is preliminary in our understanding of the bill, <laughs> but uh, what we're seeing is that since these areas either are not residential or they permit greater density than is contemplated by the bill, we don't anticipate that um, the bill is going to change anything in these zones. Furthermore, the bill requires cities to allow at least six of the nine forms of middle housing identified in the bill. And we're going to take a look at these different forms in just a minute. And I wanted to call out one of the terms specifically, stacked flats. 
and what does that mean? In my reading of the definition of stacked flats in the bill, it's basically describing duplexes and triplexes. They're just stacked on top of one another instead of side by side. So that's, that's the difference. So we're going to get into these different types. First up is a duplex. This is a uh, two-unit house-scale building with units that are either, again, side-by-side -side or stacked. Stacked would be that stacked flats where uh, each unit gets its own floor of the building. Uh, they have shared or individual entrances with entries that face the street. A triplex is three units in a house-scale building, again, either side-by-side -side or stacked, uh, with shared or individual entries, again, that face the street. A fourplex, you guessed it, has four units, and uh, typically these are two upstairs and two downstairs. Uh, entries can be shared or individual, but again, they are facing the street. So I think we might be getting the concept here of, of how the numbers work. So um, the bill talks about five plexes and six plexes. In this slide, I'd collapse that into multiplexes. <laughs> uh, multiplexes are, um, it can be a number of different units, um, typically five to 12. And again, the bill calls out five and six plexes. These are medium-sized buildings, two and three stories in height. And at this a number of units, you start getting into more commonly seeing shared entryways, though they can be individual. And again, those entries are facing the street. Townhomes, uh, which we do have already here in Shoreline, these are typically, we see three or more units that are um, side by side with one another, so nothing on top of another. Two to three and a half stories in height, each unit has its own individual entry, and those entries face the street. A courtyard apartments, these are going to be multiple attached units, and the buildings are typically in an L shape or a U shape or an O shape. Uh, and they can either be a single story uh, or a multi-story uh, building with shared or individual entryways. But importantly now, the entryways start facing that courtyard that fills in that L-shape, U-shape, or O-shape building. And then cottages, which we are familiar with here in Shoreline, uh, multiple units, usually detached, though they can be attached, that are small house scaled with individual entries that face a common interior open space that the units are organized around. And since we brought up cottages, I just want to give you a brief update about what's going on with cottages. Uh, thank you all for your work on it to date. Uh, the uh, draft ordinance is in front of council for consideration. The next touch point is going to be on Monday at 7 p.m. It's our next council meeting. Uh, and in light of the uh, recent uh, changes in the House bill, you might be asking, does anything need to change with cottages? <laughs> and again, everything is still preliminary. We are hoping for that guidance from Commerce. But we, staff are anticipating some changes uh, to the density approach, clarifying parking requirements when you're near transit or farther away. And there may be other standards, but again, we are hoping for that guidance from Commerce. Uh, they will be uh, preparing a model ordinance so we're hoping we can uh, take a look at that to understand what, if anything, additionally needs to change. Um, and we are anticipating that these changes would just be rolled into the middle housing development uh, regulations that need to be written, just so everything's done at once and we can determine that they're consistent.
A big topic of conversation with council was approaches to affordability for cottages. Uh, council, like commission, were really grappling with whether or not a fee in lieu of constructing affordable units is really appropriate. And in reading the House bill, this is going to be an important discussion and policy decision that the city needs to make. Uh, the bill leaves open the option for jurisdictions to allow a fee in lieu for construction of affordable middle housing units, but doesn't mandate it. So uh, the approach that Shoreline wants to take on affordable middle housing is going to be an important topic for discussion. So we're going to zoom out just a minute to talk about what all of this means for residential zoning and the approaches to residential zoning in Shoreline. The House bill focuses on units per lot, irrespective of lot size, rather than units per acre, which is you know, a defined area. Uh, the, lot, uh, the bill also talks about different forms of middle housing, and it's really signaling a shift away from use and density-based residential zoning, more towards form-based residential zoning. Uh, the bill increases the range of housing types available in residential zones. Again, we are to pick at least six of the nine types identified in the bill. Uh, and an important feature of form-based code is that it results in really predictable outcomes in form that are responsive to context. And this is something that we don't always see in typical uh, approaches to residential zoning about just use and density. If they are silent on form, you can end up with really unpredictable outcomes. So a little bit more about form-based regulations. The Department of Commerce has hired Opticos, a design firm that specializes in middle housing forms. And as a middle housing grantee, Shoreline has been able to preview some materials that Opticos has prepared about middle housing forms in the Puget Sound region. So they are specific to our context. They have prepared some form-based standards for middle housing uh, that would be quite instructive if the city chooses, <coughs> excuse me, to take, <clears throat> if, the, if the city chooses to take a form-based approach to residential zoning, Opticos has prepared a, um, prepared a toolkit so the city would not be starting from zero uh, with, with uh, trying to create a form-based residential zoning code. Uh, we have some materials that are specific to the uh, specific to specific to the Puget Sound region, excuse me, <clears throat> um, with standards that acknowledge that there are different tiers of residential development, and rather than focusing on things like density and use. The standards focus on things like building placement and footprint and building envelope and massing, things like uh, entryway orientation and the location and design of any parking. And form-based regulations can provide a palette of middle housing choices in Shoreline that respond to different contexts in the city. Opticos has prepared materials for middle housing grantees like Shoreline called an Atlas of Place Types. Uh, this is to help cities identify and analyze different place types. And what is a place type? It's literally types of places. <laughs> uh, they just uh, 
<clears throat> excuse me, they're on a spectrum of development of their intensity. So if they are less intense, they have some characteristics, and if they are more intense, they have other characteristics. And this atlas has been prepared for cities to use to help take a look at what the place types might be in local jurisdictions to understand what uh, tiers of middle housing may be most appropriate in different locations. Because in light of uh, House Bill 1110, the middle housing bill, the question on middle housing and shoreline isn't yes or no. The question is where are these different forms of middle housing most appropriate? We look forward to further reviewing materials provided by Opticos and continuing to engage with the community as we come into compliance with the state regulations with forms of middle housing that are responsive to shoreline. Before we dive into staff's questions for commission, does commission have any questions for staff? Yes, sir. I have one. Uh, it's, um, it has to do with, you, you, you kind of explained it, but you, you talked of stacked flats. Mm -hmm. uh, from, I'm originally from Uganda and we spoke English, but when you said if someone calls something a flat, you think of an apartment mm -hmm. or you think of a condo. Uh, but then you find that there are cities outside of the U.S. where they are stacking structures and providing those structures as flats for accommodation. And Japan is one of them. Some of those stacked flats actually look like uh, big old uh, concrete uh, pipes that have been made into a living space. Okay. South Africa has something very similar, but they are not concrete pipes. They are containers shipping containers that have been stacked on top of another and they are called flats, stacked flats. So we are not speaking of two stuff like that, right? No, it is a specific defined term in the okay. bill yeah. that says they are structures that are two to three stories in height and you rent or own the entire floor. That is correct. Even with those, they would be rented or owned the, on entire, the entire floor. floor. Yeah, but okay. So, so somehow we'll need to also look beyond the provision that is being provided as an atlas and really dig in so that you don't end up having funky looking stuff called flats. That's, that's my concern. That's the question that if we do not define it really very well, it's left to the developer's guess of what the flat really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the um, materials that we've received from Opticos so far is a, a toolkit of objective design and development standards for different forms of middle housing. So when we take a look at a stacked flat, it has specific requirements on how they're going to look <laughs> uh, to, again, have those more predictable outcomes in form. So maybe it doesn't, it's silent on density, but the look is going to be um, is going to be regulated. And I think just in general, I think that where the flat is coming from is that that type of house is actually really prevalent in the Midwest and in the East Coast. And so like in Chicago and Chicago suburbs, it's, it's a two flat usually. Mm -hmm. And so it's two stacked. And in Boston, one of their vernaculars is the three flat. I think it's Boston or Maryland, one of the two. And so that, I think that's where the flat's coming from is they're taking a, a already like vernacular type of housing in it, like a old central city and they're just applying it there. 
So it gets a little confused with the, with the Queen's English, what we call oh, Latin. Okay, all right. So, 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 so that's what I really wanted us to really make sure. <laughs> I work with uh, developers, and language is very critical, in, mm -hmm. especially when you leave it with the word flat. Right, that could mean it, any number. Loft <laughs> is the other one. And loft, sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Commissioner Callahan. Um, so I know this is still early and a lot of stuff is still being figured out, but I was just curious with this um, form-based approach, um, you know, really looking at the design and the physical characteristics, if there would be any opportunity to have like specific standards for neighborhoods. Um, mm. Our meeting um, with the council last week, Commissioner Galuska, raised this point about um, you know neighborhoods and the design of neighborhoods and here's this opportunity um, you know to potentially um, even try to build into you know more existence what I think the city has already um, done a great job of you know getting people to feel like they're a part of a neighborhood um, you know I live in Ridgecrest and I feel like I know the his the history of Ridgecrest because of the work of the community development department and the t kinds of material that they put out. And um, I think there's just, um, I'm just curious, because I think there is, is there like a planning term for that when you do the form-based stuff, but it's more like specific to areas, like design type of things, or? There are many terms <laughs> that it could be. <laughs> so you can have, um, you can have neighborhood plans or sub-area plans that, that then have specific regulations. And then I think in the, um, I am still familiarizing myself with the materials from Opticos. I believe they call them transects. That, that was the, yeah, that was, I think, the word that okay. I came across that I was, like, um, interested in because, um, yeah, I, I've just been thinking a lot about Commissioner Galuska's comment, and um, I do think there's this great opportunity also with the mobility hubs, too. Um, what are those going to look like, and could those potentially give you more of a sense of, I'm in this neighborhood now as opposed to this other neighborhood? Mm -hmm. I can. It's all new, so I've, I have several questions already into commerce. I can ask some more um, to see uh, if if that's if it's in line with the bill or, or what the approach would be. But they do talk about um, in the atlas of place types that I've reviewed so far that the um, these different types of place place types <laughs> that they have. Uh, different attributes that maybe you can start calling out and saying that, you know, these forms are, you know, maybe uh, a side-by-side -side duplex is more appropriate in, in this context mm -hmm. versus a stacked duplex is more appropriate over here because the buildings are taller, you, something like that. Um, so maybe, but the bill does have some specific specific requirements about how design is handled, mm -hmm. and we're still waiting for commerce <laughs> guidance on that. Got it, yeah, and I think that's, it's just to say I'm really interested in this, and so as you're kind of looking through and um, absorbing all of this to pull out that, you know, if there's anything in there about this neighborhood component, mm -hmm. I think that'd be great to hear. Yeah. 
you, <clears throat> Commissioner Mosier. Thank you. Um, so I'm curious on the form code, form-based code. I think it makes a lot of sense. Do we know in what they're producing if it takes into context what middle housing often is is infill housing, and a lot of their diagrams kind of presume a greenfield. Mm -hmm. So do are they kind of thinking about that, or is that something that we have to kind of put our own head to as we're interpreting what we're getting? I think it may be a blend of both. Okay. Um, having the materials are quite voluminous, yeah. <laughs> so I've uh, seen in some of them uh, some discussions about reuse of existing buildings, um, but that's probably also something that we need to discuss as a as a planning commission, as, as a council, as a city, to, to see what that uh, what that could look like um, for Shoreline. Thank you. I have a, um, a couple of questions. Um, first of all, the the plexes are they um, either rent or own, or are those generally just like a rental unit? Um, Any of the duplex, triplex? It depends. Yeah, it, uh, they could be uh, they could be subdivided if they're side by side unit lot subdivided. They could be condominiumized. It's they could be rented out. There are um, different ways to slice and dice. And okay. uh, yeah, Shoreline doesn't say anything about the um, about the ownership structure of these of these uh, middle housing forms. Okay, and what is the difference between a multiplex and an apartment? Because you're talking about a shared entry and five to 12 units. I, I mean, to me, that sounds like a, you could just call it an apartment. You could. Um, the important thing with middle housing is about it being house scale. And so an apartment, as we look around, can be a, a seven-story structure. And that is not what a multiplex is. Um, it is a uh, very specific to the form. So while it has multiple units, it still is a building that's not getting over three, three stories in height, and it you know fits on fits on a lot. It's not super wide, or it's not super tall. And so as we're starting to regulate through form-based codes, those kind of attributes of the building, it says, okay, then that means that, well, yes, it has multiple units. It's not a seven-story apartment building. To your point, how would the addressing of those units look like then? Uh, because for an apartment, you say apartment number. Duplex is duplex number, or how, do you, how does the addressing look like? I will have to get back to you. One of my colleagues handles the addressing, and I know we have specific protocols, but I do not personally know what they are. Okay. And uh, finally, just one thing that I'm, I, maybe I'm just way ahead of myself, but I kept instantly thinking about um, infrastructure when mm -hmm. we start talking about allowing um, multiple units within a, a, what right now is a single family residential R6 zone. Uh, how, how is, how is that going to be handled and how is that going to look? I mean, is that going to be up to the developers to make sure that that's taken care of? Or is the city going to start to um, update its infrastructure and, and expand and make it uh, ready for 
more housing. And like I said, I'm, I might be a little ahead of myself because we're just talking about, we're just getting started on this. It is a question that's been asked before and, and contemplated uh, presently if a, if a development's going in and any infrastructure is insufficient or undersized or broken in some way, <laughs> uh, the development is responsible for updating those facilities so that um, they can be adequately served with water and sewer and power and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I am anticipating it will be similar, but we do need to have conversations, and this is part of the comprehensive plan, conversations with uh, our partners who are utility providers, our partners in public works to say, okay, what does this do to our uh, capital improvement planning or uh, any utility improvement plans for our utility providers that can help anticipate this. So it will be an ongoing discussion. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else with any other questions? Hey guys, I'm going to wait until we ask. All right. Discussion questions. Yeah, I just had um, two questions. First, to hear Commissioner's thoughts on this form-based residential zoning code, and if that's something that you would like staff to explore further? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I say absolutely, yes. <laughs> yes, I, same here. I say yes, definitely. But uh, with one caveat, though, uh, what, we are, what you provided were from the consultant that you talked about, that's a cookie-cutter approach. And mine is when we look at neighborhoods, we need to look at neighborhoods and get their input to shape those neighborhoods the way is best fit for the neighborhood. I think when we do that, we'll be serving those neighborhoods a whole lot better. Yeah, I agree. I think it makes a lot of sense, but I think and when we did the cottage housing, because we kind of assumed it was going to be one really big lot or kind of, it would have to be an assemblage. Like, you didn't have to imagine it as much, but since it was a lot-based thing, I think it would be interesting to look. I don't know if our grant can do it or we have to do it some other way, but look at like five little parcels, just in, like one in each neighborhood, because they have some typical dimensions mm -hmm. about them, just so we understand mm -hmm. how they actually apply themselves. Yeah, sure, some test parcels or yeah. something we could see. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Commissioner Callahan. I'm in support of the form-based uh, code. Um, but just a little concerned about some of these like implementation issues and how hard that might be for you guys as staff um, to make, you know, unless it's really clear in the code, but it seems like it allows for this flexibility for a reason, but then it's going to be very subjective and come down to you guys for um, some of these decisions about how something looks. And so it's just more, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I hope that the guidance can still be clear enough to give you guys enough. Um, I, I just think it's going to be, a, you know, a little challenging in some ways. That's a really good uh, point that you've brought up. The, the materials that we've seen so far, they are um, objective design and development standards. And I know objective design standards, what does that mean? <laughs> it is also called out specifically in the bill of any, any middle housing design standards need to be objective. So it's not going to be based on a feeling or someone's, someone's personal preferences. And so what I have seen from the materials so far is that it's very much about, well, what is the building, what's an appropriate building width? 
and that it is not to exceed whatever the dimension is. And um, that what is, a, what is an appropriate building height? What is an appropriate building depth? What are the requirements for modulation? And so it is, it is clearly indicating what the metric is, what the standard is that the development needs to meet in order to get that predictable form and not just falling to staff to say like, oh, I think, I think that meets, you know, the intent or something like that. It's very, it's very objective to say like, this is, your building cannot be wider than this and your entryway has to face the street or it has to face the courtyard. It's like, well, okay, then that, that is something that staff can implement. Agreed. Um, anybody else on that first question? I think we're all in agreement. Okay, and what forms of middle housing should staff explore? And I'll go back to the list just so we have them. I, I personally think that because well, the plexes are plexes, and they can, they, aside from the fact that, I mean, you're going between 2 and 12 units, they, to me, seem almost similar enough that um, I say everything on that list. I, I, I think that if we're opening it up, then I think we need to, you know, have as many possibilities as possible. I think the only one that gives me pause on the list is townhomes, and no offense to anyone that wrote the code, I just know a lot of the new townhomes that I see down the street here, what I don't like about them is, it's the same thing I don't like about a lot of suburban homes, so this matter, so, is that the first thing you see is, is a garage, like it's, it's the main edifice, like the inviting thing is the garage, and so I'm worried, especially as we get farther away from the station, that it'll be hard to pry people away from cars, and so you'll get a lot of townhomes with two-car garages that mm. are like the first thing, and a lot of curb cuts and it just won't beat the neighborhood. So those are the only ones that kind of, I feel like, might be a challenge. But I suppose we can write a code that makes that so it doesn't occur to me. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thing with this idea of what context um, maybe the different forms of middle housing are responding to. So if you're in an area, for example, close to the station area <laughs> where um, townhomes are more commonly seen versus if you're out uh, somewhere on a large lot not really near any amenities is a townhome really the most appropriate thing there so while we can explore all of these different forms that doesn't necessarily mean they'll all go everywhere it's like wh where are they going to be appropriate but the code wouldn't specifically prohibit you from putting one there though. like we, we can lead lead the horse to water so to speak of like you know, we don't, we don't think a townhome would be appropriate, say, like, up by Woodway, but is, is the code written to prohibit it at that point? Because we're allowing it, but then kind of not allowing it. I don't know how the law is written. Sure. Through a form-based code, um, rather than a density-based, <laughs> um, you're saying what the different forms of middle housing are going to be allowed somewhere through, um, I believe it was a transect, <laughs> is what they're calling it, where or an overlay where you say, okay, in, in this area, these are the forms of middle housing that are available. We don't really care about necessarily the, um, the unit count, mm -hmm. um, but it's more about what the building is going to look like there. Okay. Yeah. Commissioner Callahan. All right, just one more question. Um, you sort of mentioned this, but I just wanted to clarify. So with the multiplex, is 
is there the idea that there could be a business in there, like a coffee shop or something? Or were you sort of referencing that as there could be more people in the neighborhood, so therefore a coffee shop where a coffee shop could normally be located um, would just be getting more business? Well, I think that's something that the city can really look at um, because one of the, again, per this bill, it didn't talk about all the different forms of middle housing. There are a bunch out there, not just nine. Like there, There's a lot. And one of them is they call it live work, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the business owner like lives in the shop front. <laughs> it could mean that there are there's a shop front and then uh, on upper floors there are apartments that you know could could belong to the business owner or could just be rented out to others. So we can absolutely look at uh, the bill says six of these nine forms that are specifically in this bill, but if we want to look at other forms of middle housing, we can certainly take a look. But per the bill, what's being contemplated are, they're calling it, a um, these are all purely residential buildings, but that doesn't mean Shoreline can't figure out what our context is and what's most appropriate. And if we want small businesses in these multiplexes, then we can make that happen. Anybody else have any questions or comments? I have a question. If, could you go back to the transit map? I'm just. <laughs> this one? Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you look at it, and I, and I am picturing, not selfishly because I live there, but I mean, Ridgecrest is one where I don't live. But then if you go, as you go down Richmond Beach Road, like we have a couple little neighborhoods <coughs> that are far away from everything else. Like, is there anything we could or should be doing to like foster those as almost like little villages or transepts or whatever like should there be a little like no parking bubble like so you actually because the 348 is part of the, the light rail opening is going to become not bus rapid transit in that sense but a 15 minute frequency so still rapid in some ways <laughs> like so should we be looking at a couple other areas to expand that too just so you have you can encourage more people to just do things there and encourage more economic development in those areas I would say the bill, um, as written, <coughs> is saying at least yeah. two units per lot, or at least four units per lot. So if we find that hey, this is a you know a neighborhood node that it makes a lot of sense to uh, encourage and um, and help support that those local businesses, okay, <laughs> uh, we could maybe say then that area you know it's not just limited to two because it's not near uh, a major transit stop. It could we can say what is going to be appropriate for, for Shoreline. And I think I would be that in, in so much as the parking as well, since that quarter and a half have the, that parking kind of waivers. They're like a separate like neighborhood business, you know, node kind of parking. Sure. Yeah. To that. Just so you get more people, but not necessarily have to have a lot more parking spaces. Vice Chair Ramachandji. Uh, I see a clarifying question. Are we saying that when you increase the level of service and you change a bus system from a regular ride bus to maybe a rapid ride, then there is need to change code and zoning codes within that locale? Is that, or am I misunderstanding? So that? the nature of my questions, I mean, is like 
the, the housing bill and a lot of the newer bills only talk about bus rapid transit, but if you look at Seattle, a lot of like their neighborhood parking requirements are like a bus, a bus route with frequent service. So there's like a next level down and the frequent service is like every 15 minutes or something like that. And so it's not quite as special as the rapid ride, but it still becomes, it's still enough that in their mind it, the yeah. Yeah. Which we don't, I don't think we have a lot of buses that run that frequently. I probably just know that one in particular is changing. Yeah, these are in in the bill. It's a defined term. What is a major transit stop? And for Shoreline, that looks like light rail and um, and bus rapid transit. But if we wanted to, again, you can go beyond the bill to say that, well, if we have something that's maybe not a major transit stop for the bill, but is frequent enough or is near a neighborhood of commerce, like that, that we want to reduce some parking requirements there, or you know, allow different forms of middle housing, that there's opportunities. But that is a really good question about if routes change, what does that do? <laughs> because if we, um, if we stick just to the letter of what's written right now and we say, and we, and we cap it at two or we cap it at four and no more, and then routes start to shift around, that's going to have some knock-on effects uh, for zoning and say, okay, well then, if there's been a change uh, that we don't necessarily control, <laughs> then uh, we're going to need to make some updates uh, to, to the zoning code. So that is something to think about, the implications of if we're putting limits, what does that mean? And that's, that's the whole point of a, a density-based approach versus a form-based approach, which is silent on density. It's more about the size of the building versus you know, the number of units that are on a lot. And then if routes start to change, that could be very fraught with, with this bill to say, okay, then now we need to start changing our zoning every time there's a, there's a bus change. I mean, to, to that end, a lot of the ones are written that, like, I mean, if you could potentially have a bunch of properties built that don't happen. But if the bus service goes away, in that instance, it would also prohibit you from continuing that paradigm. Right. So you might be stuck with too many people and not a bus route, but you wouldn't necessarily get more. So. Yeah, it could go yeah. any number of ways. <laughs> Anybody else final thoughts? Okay. <laughs> Um, you, uh, your, your question about infrastructure is a good one, and I know we've, we, some of the correspondence we've gotten from residents and developers talks about the things that are not in the zoning code, but are in the engineering manual that talk about driveway access and like, mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, rain capture and how all that stuff is there. So are we able to like have them come and talk to us too as part of this? So we, cause I think as we're talking about rules, it might be good to understand, like, for affordable housing, maybe it's this, or if it's an infill, then you don't have to do it. Because like, I know right now for an ADU, you don't have to do a lot of what's in the manual. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be good. To, that's kind of a little a, a hole that I don't quite fully grasp, but it's an expensive hole. Yes, I would say um, in, in planning, we're acutely aware that it's not just zoning alone that's going to um, enable uh, the development of any forms of middle housing, but that we need to coordinate with our partners in public works, in fire, uh, and utility providers to say, okay, what, how does this actually happen? So if you would like, uh, we can coordinate with our, with our colleagues yeah. in public works to say, and again, it's all very new, so we haven't had a chance to say, what's the approach gonna be? But 
as we have those conversations to have them come speak with planning commission it might be good to know see if we could find a way to have like it more clear like almost as part of like right now the zoning is pretty clear like you know what you get but it's kind of not i don't want to say capricious but it's a little up to them about which one they want to do but maybe as we're talking about a whole new way of doing things it's like if you're doing this then you have to do this mm -hmm. instead of kind of leaving it up to chance a little bit sure reduce some uncertainty mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea, Commissioner Mosier. Yeah, I will I will reach out to colleagues in Public Works, let them know about the bill, and see how we can come back together. <coughs> great. Anybody else? Ms. Kime, thank you. Thank you so much. I, hopefully we've answered your questions. and Yes. Okay. Very helpful. Thank okay. you. All right. With that, we go to unfinished business. Do we have any unfinished business tonight? Do we have any new business tonight? Do we have any reports? Announcement. Uh, yes, Mr. Bauer. Um, I just have a couple of quick announcements for the commission. Um, so. The, the comprehensive plan online open house closed last week. Um, so just some really high level stats on this and we'll be coming back to you. I think at the June 15th meeting, we'll be giving you a rundown of more stats and numbers on all of this, but high level, um, we had almost 4,000 visitors to the online open house. It was open from April 1 through, like I said, last week, I think like mid last week. Um, and let's see, so um, of those about 4,000, that was almost 1,300 unique, uh, unique visits within there. Uh, we had almost 300 survey responses, and then we had about 154 comments that were posted on the virtual idea wall that were there. Um, and then within that, of course, if you visited, you could see you could comment on other people's comments and like or dislike other things, so um, just wanted to share those numbers with you as a kind of a teaser for our June 15th meeting. Um, and then secondly, um, wanted to make you aware, so the council on Monday night, um, they'll be discussing interim regulations for ground floor commercial requirements. And I think this was mentioned during the dinner meeting a couple of weeks ago. Um, so those, once those are adopted, those will go into effect immediately. But um, Planning Commission will be tasked with developing the permanent regulations, and so that's sort of an add-on for your guys' work plan that'll be coming um, probably in short order, you know, over the coming months or so. It'll be uh, similar to what the outdoor seating process took, where Council took um, interim action during the pandemic to put stuff in place, and then we kind of got more in, into the details of what permanent regulations could look like. So I just wanted to uh, reiterate that point. Awesome. Thank you. And what is our agenda for the June 1st meeting? Yeah, so June 1st, we'll be bringing back uh, the TDR program, Development Code Amendments. Um, so Steve will be back and um, we'll hopefully have responses to the additional information and requests that commission made at the last meeting okay great thank you 
Uh, any last minute thoughts? All right, then we are adjourned. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>